0: But God is good, all the time. and all the time, I love the smell of grape juice on Sabbath morning. It's a special day, it's a special day. I'm just wondering if anybody out there could use a little forgiveness this morning. About 15 of you, sounds like. Let me pull out another sermon. We all could use a little forgiveness. Or maybe I should rephrase that. We all could use a lot of forgiveness. Isn't it amazing how we surprise ourselves sometimes? You know, we think we're doing so good, and then all of a sudden something happens, and you just respond in a certain way, and you're like, God, forgive me. How did I do that so quickly? How did I, I thought I was, I just, you know. Have you ever had those moments, and I'll confess, you know, you feel like your relationship with God is just like this, and you're like, man, if it gets any better than this. And then you just have to get on the freeway, right? And then you're like, oh, man, I better get over and slow down and just to be like Jesus. This hope possesses me, you know, just, hmm. But I want you to hear today, if you will, if you will, just let me be a voice today. Let me just be a servant today and allow these words to be God speaking to you today. I forgive you. You're forgiven. Be forgiven. Enjoy the forgiveness of God. Because God knows there isn't a lot of forgiveness out in the world. God knows there's not a lot of forgiveness in our own lives. We so deeply need the forgiveness of God. I've always loved since I was a child. The words that probably many of us have heard or seen, they're held up on banners when the NFL season comes around. And these words, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, so whoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. There's my favorite word again. What's my favorite word in scripture? But should have everlasting life. I want to do something here this morning, if we will. Uh, I want to put the the verse up there again. And I want us to say it to each other. So this is what I want us to do. We're going to break the congregation up in in two parts. So people in the garden chapel will be on the left part. And people in the balcony will be on the right part. And I want us to just, where there's a comma, we're going to stop. And we're going to start with your left, your right, my left. And so, for instance, this side will say, For God so loved the world. And then this side will say, That he gave his only begotten son. And then this. Does that make sense? Now, here's what I want us to do. I want us to say it, like my wife always tells me to say things to her, from the heart. Okay? So I want us to say it from the heart. I want us to say it as if we really believe it. Okay? So let's try this. Start on the left. For God so loved the world. Gave his only begotten son. Whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Are you hearing those words this morning? Taking them in. Don't just let them go by as something you might have learned as a child. And, oh yeah, that's, a, that's nice. It's so true. It's the reality of the gospel. And what I love, what I love about John 3.16 is John 3.17. I love what John 3.17 says, and it says this, For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Know that God is not unhappy with you. He's not angry with you. God is passionately in love with you. In fact, when He thinks about you, He's not disappointed. He is excited. Because he doesn't look at our sin. He looks at you as his beloved child. And no matter what your children do, you love them. And if a human parent can love even though something maybe isn't right in the relationship or there's disobedience going on. How much more the amazing love of God that nothing can separate us from, not even death. Know that you are forgiven, know that you are loved beyond your understanding. One of my favorite scriptures that I've been marinating in for the last month is from the book of Song of Solomon. Now, if you're under the age of 17, you should not read that book without a parent or guardian with you. <laughs> but one of my favorite verses is chapter 2, verse 14, and this is how you can remember it. This is how I, rem- I remember it. What is on the calendar every February 14th? Okay, so you can just remember it that way. And this is what the verse says. And this is God. This is symbolic of God talking to us. And he says this, I long to see your face and I long to hear your words because your words are sweet and your face is lovely to me. Have you ever heard God say that to you before? Oh me? Oh, come on. I haven't even put any makeup on yet. I haven't even shaved. I just woke up. I'm not lovely. My voice, I hate my voice, right? You ever talk to yourself like that? But this is what God says. I long to see your face. And I long to hear your words because your words are sweet and your face is lovely to me. Ah, that we would have the grace to fully feel and experience and know the love of God. That's what we have before us today in these emblems. Symbols to remind us that Jesus himself gave to us to remind us, I love you this much. I love you this much that I would leave heaven and come down and be killed so that you might live and know my love now and forever. And in communion, we have we have a wonderful experience of remembering what Christ has done for us in the past. We have a wonderful reminder of the fact that we have been forgiven, that Jesus did come and give his life for us, that he rose again and we are forgiven. And in communion, we have the reminder that in the future to come, that Jesus is coming back for us again and we will sit with him at the marriage supper of the Lamb and we will hold our glasses high and say to the King of kings and to the Lord of lords, you reign. Thank you for your love that was stubborn enough to never quit on us, but keep pursuing us and to forgive us of our sins so we could be with you face to face forever. And we celebrate the past and we celebrate the future, but sometimes I have to say, I think sometimes as preachers and as a Christian church, we forget to celebrate the present. We forget to celebrate that it's not just about being forgiven for our past and then holding on for dear life till Jesus comes back back again someday soon. It's about living in the presence of Jesus Christ in me today in the now. I'm forgiven. And now Jesus, take a hold of my life and run with it. One of my favorite passages in the New Testament is Galatians chapter 2. Verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave his life for me. And there's a a phrase in there that that we I just think we gloss over in our day-to-day lives, and it's a simple phrase. Christ lives in me. And I think we forget that. We forget that Christ lives in us. If I have accepted Christ, if his holy spirit is in me, then Christ lives in me. It's not just about being forgiven and then hanging on till he comes. It's allowing Christ to live in me now. The kingdom of God reigning in my life, transforming my life so I don't have to live in the misery of sin gripping my life, but by the grace of God that day by day goes on, there would be less of me and more of him. Less pain of sin and more joy of righteousness because Christ lives in me. One of my heroes is a pilot you all may be aware of. His nickname is Sully. And these, you know, when you look up quotes by people on the internet, this is his quote. Brace for impact. How would you like to be known for that statement? Brace for impact. If you're on a flight, the last words you want to hear from the captain is brace for impact. If you, uh, just to remind you of the story... Soley, as he's called, Captain Solenberg It was January 15, 2009, when he was flying an airline, U.S. Airways Flight 1549. And as they took off from the airport, who would guess? They ran into a flock of geese. And the geese went into the engines, and there was fire, and everything started going south from there. It's interesting, um, This is what Sully said. He was on 60 Minutes, and he he was quoted as saying that the moments before the crash were, quote-unquote, the worst sickening pit of your stomach falling through the floor feeling that he'd ever experienced. Well, if you know the story, you know that he and 155 passengers landed on the Hudson River. And everybody made it. Everybody was alive. Now, many people will say, it was a miracle. It was a miracle. I mean, did, did, did God just put his hand out and take that plane and land it in the water? I mean, we could, we could be here, I could be here for probably at least 10 to 15 minutes going through the list of all the things that you would have to do just right to land in the water and not have anybody get hurt. And I do believe it was a miracle, but maybe not in the way that most people might think. Let me tell you why I think this was a miracle. Sully, since 2007, had run a safety consulting firm, Safety Reliability Methods, Inc., in addition to flying commercial aircraft. He'd been a U.S. Airways pilot since 1980. He served nearly seven years as an Air Force fighter pilot, attaining the rank of captain. He served as a flight instructor, Airline Pilots Association safety chairman, accident investigator and National Technical Committee member. Has investigated aviation accidents for the Air Force and the National Transportation Safety Board. Helped develop new protocols for airline safety. If I was on a plane, I'd want him to be my pilot. You see, to me, the miracle, maybe when we get to heaven, then then I'm going to sit down with Jesus and say, okay, explain it in detail to me. But I believe the miracle was what God was doing in Soli's life. Of who God created him to be and the faithfulness he had in his craft to to be intentional about his training and, and understanding and wisdom. And he understood that it wasn't just a job. It wasn't just a job to make a check and to fly all over the world. It was a job to bring people from point A to point B safely. And he understood that. In fact, this is his quote to Katie Couric. He said, one way of looking at this might be that for 42 years, I've been making small, regular deposits in this bank of experience, education, and training. And on January 15, the balance was sufficient so that I could make a very large withdrawal. (laughs) You see, I think too often in the context of Christ living in me, too often we still try to live the Christian life by what I like to call the cult of spontaneity. That it ought to just happen naturally, and I believe it, so it's just going to happen. Didn't Jesus call us to be disciples of him and to learn from him? Didn't he call us to sit at his feet? Didn't Didn't he say, come, come follow me, and I will teach you. See, the, the world, I think, often tells us that, oh, if it's not spontaneous, it just doesn't come from the heart. Well, let me tell you, as a Laker fan, <laughs> as a Laker fan, I miss a player named Robert Ordy, who constantly has the reputation, whether he's with the Lakers or, or a different team, he has the reputation that when that game is down to the wire and there's only a couple seconds left, he's going to be behind the three-point line, and he's the one you want to get the ball to. Why? Because he's lucky? No. Because when he made that shot, the last time he made it, and one of his teammates were being interviewed, they said, what do you think about that shot that he pulled off? And his teammate said, I expect him to make that shot. He practices it all the time. Christ living in us. We're starting a, a new series called The Jesus Creed. And this journey we're going to be on is going to grow us in the experience of between past and future. And how do we live in the present, allowing Christ to live in us? Jesus was asked in Mark 12. He was asked by a very knowledgeable person. He was asked in Mark chapter 12, it says, One of the scribes came and having heard them reasoning together, perceiving that he had answered them well, asked him, which is the first commandment of all? And Jesus answered, The first of all the commandments is Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. This is the most, this is the first commandment. And the second, like it, is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. So the scribe said to him, Well said, Teacher, you have spoken the truth, for there is one God, and there is no other but he. And to love him with all the heart, with all understanding, with all the soul, with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself, is more than all the whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. Now when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. But after that, no one dared question. It. Jesus said out of the 613 some odd commandments, this is it. This is it. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and your neighbor as yourself. The emblems we have before us today show us what that life looks like. The life of Jesus. He showed us what it really looked like to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And he showed us what it looked like to love your neighbor as yourself. Too often on communion, I hear people say, I'm not coming in because I'm not worthy. I haven't had, I haven't been living right. Well, then come in. <laughs> because communion is for people who find themselves every once in a while not living right. Communion is for people who are not worthy but but put their faith and a God who's good all the time. And no matter how good or bad I might be, God is love and good and merciful and gracious and compassionate all the time. And so communion is never based on my performance, but on the sheer radical love of Jesus. I've said it before, and I just have to continue to say it. Jesus did not come only to give his life for us, but also to give his life to us. And that's what communion reminds us of. Christ living in us. Life now. The world doesn't need another system. The world doesn't need another strategy. The world simply needs the Savior. And communion reminds us that of all the stories that are being told out there, of all the commercials that are calling us to join their story, of all the things in society that says this is the story you want to live in, Jesus came and gave his life for us and gave us communion to remind us, no, this is the only true story. This is the only story that you want to put your life into. This is the only story you want to live in and live out of. Don't sell yourself short and enter other stories that don't even come close to the love of God and his kingdom now and forever. In the Seventh-day Adventist Church, we practice open communion. It means anyone here today who would like to partake of the blood and body of Jesus Christ as Savior is invited to the table. Anybody who recognizes their need for the love of God and just wants to be loved by God and accept his grace and his forgiveness in your lives, it's open. It's an open table. We also practice what's called the ordinance of humility. Something Jesus taught us to do. He said if, if you do this, you'll be blessed. You'll be happy. He gave us the, the exercise of washing each other's feet to remind us that we are all equal at the foot of the cross. And that we're blessed if we will be like him and be the one among us who serves. And so before we dismiss in your bulletins, it describes where you can go to partake in the foot washing. And just as a reminder, the men can meet in the kindergarten room, which is out towards the back. The women in the junior room, which is back in this direction. And families can participate together in the fellowship hall. Before we leave to, to practice this ordinance of humility, let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for who you are. Thank you for what you've done, for what you're doing and what you will do. Forgive us, Lord, we come to your table today asking forgiveness for the times in which we just don't let you live. So Lord, we ask that you would give us the grace today and every day here on to let you be alive in our lives. We rejoice in the forgiveness of sins past and we rejoice that you are coming again. And Lord, we also rejoice that you give us yourself through the presence of the Holy Spirit to live in us today. That we would not be conformed to this world but transformed by the renewing of our minds So go with us now as we participate and wash one another's feet and bring us back to your table, Lord, that we could bask in your love and give thanks for your grace and your glory. We ask this in your name. Amen.
1: Please join us as we sing together.
2: When Jesus had cried with a loud voice, he said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And having said thus, he gave up the ghost. Will the Lord ever tell us why he cried so? Was it the cry of relief at the touch of death? Was it the cry of victory? Was it the cry of gladness that he had endured to the end? Or did the Father look out upon him and answer to his cry, my God, my God, and the blessedness of that look make him cry aloud because he could not smile? Was such his condition now that the greatest gladness of the universe could express itself only in a loud cry? Or was it but the last wrench of pain ere the final repose began? It may have been all in one, but never surely in all books, in all words of thinking men can there be so much expressed as lay unarticulated in that cry of the Son of God. Now should inward sonship and the spirit of glad sacrifice be born in the hearts of men. For he had been amongst his brethren what he would have his brethren be. He had done for them through his sacrificial life and now death what he would have them do for God and for each other. God was henceforth inside and beneath them as well as around and above them, suffering with them and for them, giving them all he had, his very life being. He had been among them, their God brother, and the mighty story ends with a cry. Then the cry meant, It is finished. The cry meant, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. The last act of our Lord in thus commending his spirit at the close of his life was only a summing up of what he had been doing all his life. He had been offering this sacrifice, the sacrifice of himself, all the years and in thus sacrificing he had lived the divine life. Every morning when he went out ere it was day, every evening when he lingered on the night-lapped mountain after his friends were gone, he was offering himself to his father in the communion of loving words, of high thoughts, of speechless feelings, and between he turned to do the same thing indeed, namely in loving word, in helping thought, in healing action towards his fellows. For the way to worship God while the daylight lasts is to work. The service of God, the only divine service, is the helping of our fellows. In commending his spirit, he was once again the example for us. And this commending of our spirits into the hands of the Father is the simplest, blessedest thing in the human world. For a person may say thus with himself, Am I going to sleep? To lose consciousness To be helpless for a time Thoughtless Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit I give myself back to thee Take me, soothe me, refresh me Am I going out into the business and turmoil of the day Where so many temptations may come To do less honorably Less faithfully Less kindly Than the ideal man would have me do Father, into thy hands Am I going to do a good deed Then, of all times, Father, into thy hands, lest the enemy should have me now. Am I going to do a hard duty, from which I would gladly be turned aside, to refuse a friend's request, to urge a neighbor's conscience? Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. Am I in pain? Is illness coming upon me to ravage my body, to shut out the glad visions of a healthy brain, and to cloud my mind with thoughts and imaginations that are troubled and untrue? Take my spirit, Lord, and see, as is your way, that it has no more to bear than it can bear. Am I going to die? Thou knowest, if only from the cry of thy son, how terrible that is. And if it comes to me in a less terrible shape than it came to him, think how poor to bear it I am compared to him. I do not know what the struggle means, for of all who pass through it, not one enlightens his neighbor left But won't I long with agony for one breath of thy air and be denied it? Shall I not be torn asunder with dying? I will question no more. Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit, for it is thy business, not mine. Thou wilt know every shade of my suffering. Thou wilt care for me with thy perfect fatherhood. As a child, I could bear great pain when my father was leaning over me, or had his arm about me, how much nearer my soul cannot thy hands come, yea, with a comfort father of me that I have never yet even imagined, or how shall my imagination overtake thy swift heart? I care not about the pain so long as my spirit is strong, and into thy hands I commend that spirit. If thy love, which is better than life, receive it, then surely thy tenderness will make it strong thus may a person say with himself think brothers think sisters we we walk in the air of an eternal fatherhood let us commend our spirits into his hands whither else dare we send them
1: Would you pray with me as we begin? Our Father in heaven, we are so grateful this morning for the love that you have shown to us, for the sacrifice that you have made, for the way you have given us the gift of yourself. In a few moments, Lord, we'll be holding in our hands the symbols of your sacrifice and of your love the bread representing your body broken for us, the cup representing your blood shed for us. Lord, they draw our mind back to what you have done, the extent to which your love was willing to go, and we are grateful as we remember and as we allow what we remember to change us. They draw us forward as well in anticipation of the time when you have told us that You will not take part in this cup or this bread again until we do it together in the kingdom. And so we look forward in joyful anticipation to that time. And Lord, also as we partake of them now in just a few moments, we know that as they become a part of our bodies, as the bread and the wine become a part of us, that it reminds us that you do indeed dwell within us that it is Christ within us, the hope of glory. And it is that life that you want to strengthen us for, to nourish us, to live, to live out through us. So now as we take part in this service together, as we handle the symbols, as we share it with each other, we pray that what is symbolized might become a reality for us. We ask this in Jesus' name.
0: I want to invite you to take the bread, symbol of Christ's body for you, and take a moment in silent prayer to contemplate the life of Christ for you and in you. Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he'd given thanks, he broke it and said, take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you, do this in remembrance of me. The same way I invite you to take the cup, symbolic of Christ's life and blood that was shed for us, and take a moment in silent prayer to contemplate the blood of Christ for you and for us. same manner he also took the cup after supper saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood this do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me This week, I want to invite us, as we go, to go knowing that your sins are forgiven, for Jesus has given his life for you. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And as you go, go in the hope, knowing that Jesus is coming again, and we will sit down with him like we have today and celebrate the kingdom of God together. And as you go, go today in the present, knowing that Christ lives in you. And just as Captain Sully was a miracle on that plane that day, Christ calls us to be a miracle in this world of pain and sorrow. That he would reign in you, that he would live in you, and extend his compassion and his love and his forgiveness to a broken and hurting world. Let us now join in singing a song together to celebrate God's love for us.
3: Since God has shown His infinite love toward us, the only response we should have is to tell Jesus, "I love Thee." We're the second verse.